Thank you so much, Tom and the team. Good morning again. Let's just pause and pray, shall we? Father, thank you that we've got the opportunity to look at your word together today. And we pray that you would speak to us, whoever we are and wherever we are. Just really conscious in that worship time, the range and breadth of people and situations here as part of our church family today. Lord, there'll be people here who are in joy and in celebration. There'll be those who are grieving, those who feel unsettled and uncertain, in turmoil, those who know peace. And we pray you'd speak to each of us in that. Lord, there'll be those here who faith is strong and is holding on. There'll be those whose faith is wavering and there'll be those here with no faith at all and are asking all sorts of questions. Lord, would you meet us today in all of those things? Thank you for the privilege of looking at your word together and we pray you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, it's always wonderful to look at God's Word with you. And today we are finishing this mini-series that we've been looking at uh, for four Sundays called So Loved. And we've been thinking together about John 3.16, the most famous verse in the whole of our Bibles. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we've been working our way through the 26 words of this verse that make up John 3.16. And we've been looking at it phrase by phrase. We've been saying together that uh, this verse can be found on car stickers, fridge magnets, calendars, clothing, and you see it at large-scale sporting events. It is known and it is loved by Christians all over the world. And we've been looking at it phrase by phrase to mine the treasure and the truth in it. And today we're on this final phrase, shall not perish but have eternal life. This week I watched a documentary by Stacey Dooley, uh, caught up with it on iPlayer, called Inside the Convent. Uh, Stacey Dooley makes lots of documentaries about a whole range of things. And in this one, she spends 10 days with a community of Anglican nuns at St Hilda's Priory in Whitby in Yorkshire. And she wants to experience their reflective way of life. And it's a fascinating and a very gentle documentary as she explores issues of faith with the nuns. And at the very beginning of the programme, she says this. She says, I've been wondering if I need to rethink things. A lot of us are thinking, what do we really want? What's it all about? And then the whole programme follows Stacey Dooley as she stays there for 10 days. She wonders about the relevance of uh, faith on her own life, about prayer. And there's a particularly poignant scene where she talks to one of the sisters, Sister Jocelyn, in the graveyard, where all the nuns are buried when they die. And she says this to Sister Jocelyn. She says, how do you feel about dying and death? I look on it as the next step in the journey, Sister Jocelyn says. And Stacey Dooley says, I'm scared of dying, completely terrified. It's the uncertainty. Sometimes I'm envious of people who truly believe. I wish I could feel the sense of comfort and certainty you have. I want to live forever. 
You can catch up with it on BBC iPlayer if you would like to see it. Just as an aside, there's a brilliant scene where one of the, one of the nuns talks about how difficult she found the, um, the vow of obedience. And Stacey Dooley says, what sorts of things? And she says, well, once I took off my shoes and walked barefoot across the floor, as if that was like the worst act of disobedience that she's ever, ever done. It's a lovely, very gentle look if you want to catch up on it. Now, I don't think meeting those nuns caused a revolutionary change in Stacey Dooley's worldview, but it certainly made her think. And as soon as anybody engages with the Christian faith, whether that is a community of nuns in Yorkshire, or, or for ourselves in our frontline places as people ask us questions, or as you indeed might be asking questions yourself, things about eternity, the meaning of life, the life to come, crop up. John 3.16 is loved and it's precious and it's central to our faith because it is about eternity. It's about life now and life that goes on from this life into the next. John tells us that anyone who trusts Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. And there are those two parts to that final phrase that we will look at together today. Now the not perishing part of this famous verse is the bit that we don't like to talk about so much. God so loved the world, tick. He gave his only son, tick. Whoever believes in him, tick. And then we want to scoop past, shall not perish, and get on to have everlasting life, tick. In saying that those who believe shall not perish implies a troubling possibility that others who don't believe will perish. And talking about God's judgment raises all sorts of questions is God truly loving? What kind of God would judge? Does God want people to perish? What's that all about? Sometimes the hardest things to explore are also the most important. And I'd want to suggest today that this phrase that we're looking at is good news in its entirety. There are two sides here. There is judgment and there is eternal life and they hold together. So as we explore this final section, I want to show you today how both parts sit together. And crucially, both parts only make sense in the context of God's love. Remember the context of the verse, which is God's love. For God so loved the world. That's where it starts, God's love for the world, which led to him giving his only son that whoever believes. Both shall not perish and have eternal life. So let's have a look at these three tricky words first, shall not perish. If you look in your Bibles, Jesus talks about God's judgment as a reality. There's a passage in Matthew 25 about sheep and goats that you might be familiar with or at least have heard being talked about. And it begins like this in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And Jesus goes on to describe the goats as those who don't follow him or are those who don't serve him who will receive eternal punishment, he says. And the sheep who he describes as the righteous, those who truly believe, who will receive eternal life. Now these are strong words. Paul talks about the judgment seat of Christ that we will all have to face one day in his letter to the Corinthian church. Now we flinch a bit. God's judgment seems opposed to love. 
allowing people to perish, words like punishment. But I want to make the case that actually judgment makes sense in the context of love. And here are three reasons why. The first is that love is fair. There is an inbuilt sense of justice in us as human beings. We inherently want the right thing to be done. The good old British cue is evidence of this. I experienced this twice this week on the same day. So first of all, I needed to get some cash out. And I went to the um, cash machines, the ATMs, and one of them was out of service. And it was a busy day. And so there was quite a queue building up um, behind this available cash point. And I was just smiling to myself at the dutiful way that British people generally queue patiently, uh, like a bunch of strangers lined up waiting our turn. Queue jumping just is not the done thing. We, we just know those are the right rules. Now, on the same day, I drove to Bosham to take my kids for an ice cream in the glorious sunshine that we had last week. And the car park was really busy. And as I was indicating, you know where this story is going, as I was indicating for a space that someone else was leaving in this very busy full car park, another car sneakily drove into my space. Please feel the injustice of that with me. I was... Um, I actually felt an incredible sense of injustice, and I'm ashamed to say that I actually hooted. You know that you, you, you just wait your turn, don't you? You just don't do that. This is the right thing to do. Now, at a far more significant level, we, we believe, actually, we believe in the idea of justice and judgment. We would not want a world where judgment was not part of the deal, no one would object to evil people facing judgment for the wrongs that they've committed. We look at the dreadful things happening in Ukraine and we feel a deep sense of injustice at what's happening to the Ukrainian people. We want justice and judgment. We want what is fair. The Bible says that there is sin in every human heart, in your heart and in mine. And God cannot turn a blind eye to that because for him to ignore that is not fair or loving. Justice is not opposed to love. It's actually a manifestation for, of a deep love for something that matters. Which links to the second thought, which is that love protects and respects. Another aspect of judgment is a display of protective love for someone or something. We discipline children for their protection because we love them. When it comes to God's creation and his people, God is fiercely protective. Sin and wrongdoing cannot have a place in his presence. One day in eternity, there will be a place where there is no more wrongdoing. All evil will be kept out of his eternal presence. And part of judgment is understanding God's protection. God has given us free will. And while that is a whole other sermon in itself, it's a huge topic to wrestle with, it's worth us remembering that God hasn't created us as puppets or robots, but for relationship, which means that we have the freedom to make our own choices. And we sit with this mystery that God is all-knowing and all-powerful, but that he allows us to make real choices. Love does not coerce, it does not manipulate, and in love, God respects our choices, even if they have eternal consequences. And thirdly, love warns. Jesus' references to judgment are warnings. They come as warnings, and warnings themselves are, in act, are acts of love. Again, with children, we, we warn them not to run in the road out of love for them. 
when we read Jesus' warnings and his seemingly harsh words about punishment for those who don't believe, we can wish they weren't there. You know, can't we just focus on the bits about love and peace and forgiveness? We relativise good and evil according to our own scale. But true justice means that God can't turn a blind eye to some sins and punish others. And it's as we trust Jesus for the sin in our own heart, for forgiveness that we need, that he takes that punishment and offers to us eternal life. If you want to read around this some more, I do recommend this book. We've been recommending that our series is based on this little book, So Loved. We ordered 70 copies. There are two left. So if you are sitting at the back, you've got an advantage. If you'd like one of those two copies at the end, you can get that from the welcome desk. The good news is that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but the offer of eternal life is open to all. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There are so many misconceptions about eternity and about heaven, which paint a picture, an unhelpful picture of people sitting on clouds, of angels playing harps, of cherubs and so on. Unhelpful images like this, perhaps, or like this, which have actually got nothing to do with the Bible's description of heaven and eternity and the place that we shall be with him. Mark Twain famously said, Most people can't bear sitting in church for an hour on a Sunday. How are they supposed to live somewhere very similar for eternity? We might have this inbuilt fear that uh, actually eternity is like a never-ending church service. God forbid. Your worship was fantastic, Tom. But, you know, an hour's lovely in eternity. And yet when we look at the Bible, it describes the presence of God as being alive with worship, yes, but not never-endingly dull, not a kind of interminable singing, but vivid and vibrant where we will truly be ourselves and truly be alive. There's much that we don't know, but there are some things that we do know. We do know that eternal life will be perfect. This week I went to the opticians for the first time in two years because of um, COVID, etc. And I thought that my eyes hadn't changed particularly, so I hadn't made an appointment. And, and not surprisingly, I, I squinted as I looked at the little letters and I needed a new prescription for both my glasses and my contact lenses. I wear contact lenses. I had to wait ages, more patient um, queuing. And I needed a new prescription because my vision has worsened. I am actually really short-sighted if I don't have my contact lenses in. Um, If I go swimming with my family and I come out of the changing room, you know, everybody is just really blurry. I can't actually find the children uh, when I swim. If you took me up a mountain without my glasses on and told me to look at the view, I would get a sense of the shapes and the colours. But it would only be when I put my glasses on that I would truly be able to appreciate the scale and the grandeur and the shades and the awesomeness of that view. We now only see partially here on earth. It's like we're sitting without our glasses on. One day we will truly see the beauty and the perfection that God has in store for us. The promise of eternal life is that there will be a future of beauty and perfection with no more suffering. Revelation 21, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Eternal life will be perfect. We will truly be at peace. We will will be fully vibrant and fully alive. Eternal life will also be physical. Jesus speaks about his father's house, a place that's got many rooms in it. Revelation describes a beautiful city with walls and gates, a river and fruit-laden trees. Paul describes how creation is waiting. The whole of creation is waiting for its restoration. Creation isn't going to disappear, but going to be restored or renewed. Eternal life will be, a, will be physical. We're not going to float around in, in a disembodied way. It will be a physical, material existence that will have activity and life about it, that will use our senses. There'll be service of God and relationship and, and food and activity in a place more wonderful than we can ever imagine. A, a new or a renewed earth where we will live and God will dwell with us. Eternal life will be perfect and physical and it will also be home. The greatest reward of eternal life is that we will be where we belong, the place we were made for. This is not it. This is not what we were created for as human beings. We will be at home with our God, an unspoilt relationship of love with the one who loves us and who created us. We've shared the sad news today that Helen Blakey passed away earlier this week. It's lovely to have Paddy with us here this morning. And it was a privilege for me to go and be with Helen and Paddy and to pray with her as she neared the end of her earthly days. And I've, I've asked Paddy if I can share this today. It was a precious and a poignant time. And we spent time praying with Helen and in amongst the, the grief and the tears of sadness over the loss, there was a hopefulness in that moment because Helen was being called home. And we prayed about the welcome that she was about to receive from the gods who loved her, that he was welcoming her into his presence, that her eternal future was absolutely certain. And we held her hand, knowing that her earthly life was finishing, but that God was preparing a place for her, the place she was truly made for. He was calling his good and faithful servant to be home, the place that she always belonged. For others that we know that we have loved and who've passed away, God calls us home to his presence. We do not grieve as those who have no hope, as Paul said. And that is so true. I've shared today about judgment and eternity, what we don't know and what we do know. But I do want to leave with you more than anything else, overarching this message and overarching this whole mini-series as we've looked at John 3.16 together, that the good news of this little verse that has changed the lives of thousands and millions of Christians around the world His hope, the hope of eternity with our Saviour. The hope which changes this life 
It changes how we are in the now, the joy and the peace and the presence and the purpose that we have here and the change it brings into eternity. And what we've been saying every week for four Sundays is that you you can know this hope, the promise of eternal life, this game changer, changing our now and changing our future. My prayer today is that if you are here and you are not sure about this, that this series might have helped you, this little book might help you, conversations with me or the team or Christians that you know might help you. If you need hope, if you long to be at home with the God who made you, you can know that. It has changed my life, John 3.16 and many others. And for others of us whose faith in Jesus is real, Maybe it's been for a long time or a shorter time, but you are in any of the situations I've prayed about today, from grieving to joy, from wavering to solid. This message, this series, this verse, John 3.16, is the hope you need today and in the days ahead. God, would your hope disseminate out by your Holy Spirit to each of us, we pray. Amen.